0: So when our kids were little, we moved from Ontario uh, to Winnipeg, Manitoba. And uh, there was all kinds of adventure in that. Um, But soon after we moved, um, my son, who was uh, six or seven at the time, came home from school uh, wanting to run in the Manitoba Marathon. And um, it was a new city. Um, Thousands of runners went in this event. And so we thought, how does this little guy, like how do we navigate that? And by the way, at the time, uh, Winnipeg was the murder capital of Canada. So, you know, the nervous parent and, uh, you know, he was our first and so trying to figure out what to do. And uh, he he said to me, um, dad, uh, will you run with me? And um, by the way, uh, it's in two weeks. So you, you might not uh, realize it because, you know, back then I, I, I didn't have this sleek uh, runner's physique uh, that I do today, um, but I thought, well, let me, let me learn more. So I, I, I set out to do some research. Uh, the first <laughs> good news I discovered was that we wouldn't be running a whole marathon, that it was the super run, it was, it was 10% of a marathon. So it was only, you know, just a little over four kilometers. So a lot less than what I thought he was asking me to do. So I got some plans. I got the uh, couch potato to 5K, kind of here's how you run. I, I read some articles. Um, I talked to some friends of mine who were great runners to say, like, what should I do? Uh, I even um, bought some gear, got some new running shoes and a a good uh, uh, running shirt. But until I put my shoes on and stepped out the front door, I wasn't a runner. Um, And actually, my first run, I I didn't even make it around the block. Um, But I stuck with it that year. And um, we ran in the super run together um, a, whole, a whole year later. And I can tell you, I learned so much about myself um, from running. And when, when it comes to faith, I think um, James would tell us, we're looking at James today, James chapter 2, and um, I think we'll discover that the same kinds of principles apply, that you might know a lot about Jesus, You might talk to some other people who are kind of experts in Jesus, um, some of his followers. Um, Maybe you've even attended church like every week during the pandemic and you get bonus points for that, I think. Um, Maybe you're new at this or you've been coming for years, listen to podcasts, um, connect with other people, but you're not really a follower of Jesus if there's no following. Um, and once your faith launches out into action, it gets way more exciting. And that's where we dive into the book of James. Um, through the summer, we've been in a series called Move, looking at some lessons from the book of James. And, and Jay, last week, challenged us not to exert our, our privilege or show favoritism, but to love everyone just abundantly. Um, it, was, it was a great morning together. And this morning, we come to James Two, starting at verse 14, and I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation, which might be different for you, but I find it more helpful um, for my learning. So this is from the, the NLT, James 2, 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a great day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, some may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish, can't you see that without good deeds, faith is useless? Or um, as the the message puts it this way, um, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts? is outrageous nonsense. So let's dive into this this idea that we need to have um, belief and we need to have action, and that when they line up, um, really amazing things happen in our hearts. And I'm I'm sorry to do this to you, but um, we're gonna think of a graph. So if you hate math class, I'm sorry, but you're gonna catch on real quick. But picture a graph where the up and down um, axis uh, measures our belief, and the, um, the horizontal axis measure, measures actions. Let's, so you get four different quadrants if you, if you drew that out, and uh, let's take them one at a time. In the bottom right quadrant, um, you have people with high action in their life, but low belief, and um, these folks are kind of jumping through all the hoops But when it's disconnected from um, belief, um, it's kind of exhausting, actually. You're just on this little hamster wheel of, I have to do all these things. But if it's not rooted in what you believe about Jesus and his sustaining power in your life, like, it's not a great recipe. Uh, An example of this in the Bible would be the Pharisees, whose, whose legalism or unending rules just caught them up and they kind of kept missing the point of faith, that it wasn't just about hollow actions, it was about uh, a connected belief, faith lived out. So this kind of faith that's exhausting and unfulfilling, um, don't live in this quadrant. On, on the top left though, we have high belief, uh, but low action. And uh, this is where James, you know, what we just read, James says this kind of faith is, is dead or the message said, it's outrageous nonsense. And uh, think of it this way. Suppose someone gave you a check for $100 million, uh, or they did an e-transfer if you don't know what a check is. And um, you had that email with the e-transfer, but you, you never clicked the deposit button, or you never took the check to the bank. You know, the potential is great, but it doesn't really translate into life change. It's just kind of dead. To you. It doesn't make a difference. So uh, James would say, don't live in this quadrant either, where you have faith, but no action. In the bottom left, where you have um, low belief and, and low action, uh, I mean, these are folks who have yet to discover Jesus. They're your neighbors and your family and your friends. They're all around us, and they desperately need to experience the love of Jesus. I I called them um, normal people um, who still need Jesus. Uh, And by the way, um, don't expect people who don't believe in Jesus to act like Jesus, um, just as a a little tangent. And if if this is you, um, we'd love to introduce you to Jesus. He can bring hope and meaning to your life. He he revolutionized my life, um, so you don't need to stay in this quadrant. But then finally, in, in the top right, um, we have what James would advocate for, that you have high belief and high action, that it's a dynamic, life-giving faith where your belief fuels your actions and your actions help shape what you believe about Jesus. It's like, it's like two wings of a plane. If you just have belief, like you're gonna spiral down <laughs> and crash. And if you just have action, we said, you know, it's exhausting and you're on a little hamster wheel for life. But if you have faith and action, then you can soar to really exciting heights with Jesus. And that's how uh, James challenges us to live. So I think there's a great example of this uh, from the great Blondin, the hero of Niagara he was called. Uh, And you might not have heard of him. His real name was Jean-Francois Gravelot, um, but his stage name was um, the great Blondin. And he lived in kind of the middle of the 1800s. Um, and he was famous for his crazy, uh, tightrope walking. He, 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 uh, did tightrope things all over, um, all over the place in, in, um, scarier and more adventurous places. And he became famous for, uh, stringing a wire across Niagara Falls and, and crossing, uh, with a tightrope. And, um, uh, he didn't just leave it. I mean, that would be enough. First of all, <laughs> just standing beside Niagara Falls is intimidating. I don't know if you've ever been there, but the water rushing over it's it's incredible. Um, just to see it mesmerizing. I can't imagine um, what it would be like to climb across. You know he used one of those little bar things and he would he would go across uh, the tightrope and he said that he crossed over 300 times back and forth. Uh, Not all on the same day, because that'd be a really long day. Uh, And I guess after a while, if you've crossed a bunch of times on a tightrope, I guess the thrill kind of wears off. So he started doing um, even more adventurous things. Uh, One time he rode a um, a kind of a special bicycle that was built for the wire. Um, He's said to have crossed uh, wearing stilts. Um, one time he wore buckets on his feet. Um, he did it at night once. He did it one time um, blindfolded and covered by a heavy sack made of blankets. Um, he, he did it. He did a, a somersault on the wire in the middle. If that wasn't enough, uh, sometimes he would go out with a chair. <laughs> He'd like carry this chair as he walked across the tightrope. And then in the middle of the wire... He would, put the, he would rest the chair and balance it on the wire, and then he would sit down on the chair. Uh, so, like, kind of not just next-level tightrope walking, but, like, extreme, right? That's why he was called um, the, the Hero of Niagara. Uh, he had, a, like, a little modified wheelbarrow that he pushed, um, and one time he put a stove on the wheelbarrow, and while he was in the middle of the wire, he... Um, he cracked some eggs and cooked breakfast and ate it and then, and then finished his, his way across. So you can see, as far as tightrope walking goes, like top shelf, right? So apparently, there was one time uh, when he came down from the, from the tightrope and the, the huge crowds that were there to see him just went nuts, um, cheering. And, and apparently, he shouted out, who believes I can do this again? And the crowd went nuts, cheering. And he said, um, who wants to see me carry someone on my back while I go over? And the crowd went crazy, cheering, thinking, oh, this is amazing. I can't believe we're here on this day. And then he said, who wants to be that person? It got quiet pretty quick. You hear the crickets. All you hear is the roar of the falls. No one is volunteering. Until his manager, uh, Harry Colcord, uh, ends up volunteering. Uh, I don't know if you could imagine what level of trust you would need to get on the back of the Great Blondin and walk across a tightrope over Niagara Falls. Uh, But his manager knew him well. He trusted him. He believed he could do it. He'd seen him do it. And he was willing to risk his entire life on it. See, faith can feel risky, especially when we step out into action. But faith is about trusting that God is good, that he will do uh, what is best for us. And our entire lives can center around serving Jesus, not just believing in him, and becoming the people he wants us to be, and caring about the people that he cares about. See, faith goes beyond belief and steps out in action. So what does that look like to step out? I, I was thinking, let's look at five examples uh, today of things that you, practically, that you could do um, to live this out. The first one is the, the compass run for food. It's, it's um, maybe it's on my mind because I was thinking about running, and I'll be running in the compass run again this year, myself. Uh, it's an easy way to raise money and awareness about food insecurity in our area. And those are things that Jesus is passionate about. He cares even in this passage in James, it talks about feeding people who don't have food and caring for the needy. And, and Jay last week told us that in, in the Gospels that um, Jesus talks about the poor a heck of a lot of times, like one in 10 verses in the Gospels are about, um, are about the poor. So um, the Compass Run for Food um, raises money and awareness. It supports uh, local food banks and some uh, breakfast programs in schools and, um, and I think is more crucial than ever. Um, you can run, walk, push a stroller, uh, even dance your way through the five kilometers. Or, you know, if you're a runner guy like me, uh, there's a ten a ten kilometer run. So, uh, let me give you two options of how you could respond to the idea of the Compass Run. The safe option would be to sign up today online and start walking and growing towards being able to do that distance. But maybe a brave option would be to share the story of what you're doing and why on social media. So so maybe you say, you know, um, Jesus is passionate about the poor and as a follower of his, I wanna make a difference. And so I'm I'm running in the compass run for food this year. Um, And there's a great uh, slogan that goes with it that um, when your legs are tired, run with your heart. And I, I mean, I think that's a that's a great example. But but maybe you're maybe you're not a runner, and you think well, my knees can't take that or um, whatever. Uh, here's another option: be kind to your neighbor. Uh, my neighbor Sean uh, used to be a baker, and occasionally he makes the most amazing bread, and he drops it off at our house, um, and it's like a gift to receive this bread um, it's, it's very well received. Be that for someone else. Um, make some bread, uh, cut your neighbor's lawn, or, uh, bake some cookies, or, uh, maybe have a COVID vegetable garden. Like, give away some of those vegetables to, to the people around you. May, maybe neighbor isn't the person whose house is right beside where you are, or whose apartment is next door. Maybe, maybe neighbor in this sense, uh, could be, um, someone you work with, or someone you go to school with. Uh, Uh, just someone in your family, someone you know. Uh, The safe option for how you could respond to your neighbor if you want to take up this challenge is is just do it. Do a random act of kindness for someone in your orbit. Uh, But if you want to take the brave option, share why you're doing that. Uh, You could say, I I just wanted to bless you. Uh, Or you could say, um, you know, discovering Jesus' love radically changed my life. And I want to follow in his example by by loving the people around me, so I, ba- I baked this bread or I made these cookies, or um, yeah, I just wanted to to be a help so so you could you could run in the compass run, um, you could be kind to your neighbor, third option for you. read the Bible. Um, it sounds crazy uh, um, uh, as, a, as a, a kind of a bold step to live out your faith, but um the Center for Bible Engagement um, looked at the difference it makes to read the Bible four times a week or more. And they found if you only read the Bible once a week or twice or three times a week, that these things changed, but they didn't dramatically change until, until the fourth time a week. If, if you're a person that could read, and maybe you'll just read through the book of James uh, four times this week, um, but listen to what happens if you read the Bible four times a week or more you're 30% less likely to feel lonely. Wouldn't that be enough for you? You're you're 40% less likely to experience bitterness in close relationships with your closest friends. Uh, You're 60% less likely to describe yourself as spiritually stagnant, if you read the Bible four times a week. A 61% less likely to view porn, Uh, 200% more likely to share your faith, So if there's kind of one step you could do to live out what you believe and actually discover more clearly what you believe, it'd be, it'd be read the Bible. So the safe option, how you could respond, read James chapter two four times this week. God will bless you as you do it. Ask him to speak to you. And as you're, when you're done reading each time, say, God, what do you have for me in this? Um, and I guarantee it'll be something great. Um, or, or the brave option, Uh, Read with your family or a friend or uh, use the talking point questions to really engage in what the passage says. Um, But read the Bible. Fourth, um, you could volunteer or serve in our community or or in the church. And I I actually think it's maybe the most crucial season ever um, for this, uh, that there there are massive needs um, in our church as we head back to in-person ministry, Um, lots of volunteers um, have ended their season, or some some people have even moved because of COVID, and so, um, like, there's going to be more needs than ever. The safe option is call the office and say, how can I help? I'm good at this, I'm good at this, I'm good at this. Like, put me to work. Uh, But if you want to take the brave option, say, I'll serve wherever you need me for the next six months and I'll do it with a teachable and willing heart. Uh, and, and go in with the attitude of, of send me in, coach, or um, I'll go where you send me, or um, here I am, send me. Um, the brave response, highly recommend it. Uh, the last example I wanted to give you is, is from my experience in the last uh, 10 months. I lost my job in August. Uh, because of uh, financial cuts, because of COVID. And they told me that it was never coming back. Uh, I know some of you have been in that meeting yourselves. So I I understand um, how that feels. And, you know, my wife's a trained teacher, but with some health challenges, she she isn't working right now. So I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders um, in August last summer. Uh, The same organization, InterVarsity, uh, where I serve, um, offered me a new job, though, in the midst of all of this um, with significantly wider opportunities. Um, But the catch was there was no salary, Um, that I was going to live like a missionary, um, and the role was 100% fundraised. And um, I had 10 days, Lisa and I, we had 10 days to decide what were we going to do. And I remember talking with a friend of mine who, who's not a follower of Jesus, and he said, Why would people just give you money? And I said to him, Well, they might not. Um, but we believe that God is real and that he'll prompt the hearts of like minded people to give. And um, so we wanted to trust him. And, you know, I could have taken the, the safe option. And it was, it was not a bad option. There was a, there was a severance package. Um, and then I could have gone on CERB or EI and then hoped to find um, a, a great job. But I got to say that the, the job that they were offering me was like a dream job, perfect fit. Um, and the, the question was, was I going to have the trust that God would provide? <laughs> um, and so we, we took the brave option actually to step out in faith um, knowing that God was, was leading us. And we, we prayed that through and we talked to friends and kind of had some, some good confirmation. It wasn't just a, a blind uh, step of faith. And, and we were remembering that God had, had been providing for us all along, so, so trusting Jesus wasn't, wasn't new. Um, and I have to say some months have been, have been easier than others to, to trust and, and, and step out in faith but we're experiencing a new depth of God's abiding presence with us. Uh, And we could be brave with this decision because we had done a whole series of safe choices in the past. We had stepped out in smaller ways um, and that allowed us to step out in this this bigger way. Um, The more often you try safe, the easier it is to choose brave. So it's okay if... You know, from these options today, if you pick the safe one every time, that's still a great choice because it will grow your faith and it will put it into action and God will bless you. Uh, Maybe try one of them with the brave option. Anyway, backtracking to my story about running. Uh, Yesterday, I ran 10 kilometers. Uh, Since my first trip around the block, when I was just gassed, Uh, Like I didn't even make it all the way around the block. And since then, I've run more than a thousand kilometers. Uh, And I can say though, none of that would be possible if I hadn't just taken that first step out the front door. Faith goes beyond belief and invites us to step out and trust. What step is God inviting you to take? be brave. You can trust him and step out. Love you guys.